are going to talk about gifts tonight. I'm excited to, jo- to dive back into this study on spiritual gifts. Uh, we're having to break it up a little bit. It's just that time of year. A lot of busy things going on. But we're going to be looking at some more gifts tonight. In this series that's called Life in the Third Person and by Third Person, we mean, of course, the third person of the Trinity, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Uh, possibly the most neglected of the three. And uh, when it's not neglected, when he's not neglected, he is often mistaught, misunderstood, misconstrued. And so we have sought to understand him better by looking at the scripture, by looking at the words of Christ, of Paul, of Peter. We looked at his coming, we looked at his ministry, we looked at his intercession, his regeneration, his baptism, and his, uh, of course, by default, his indwelling, his filling. And we're winding down this series with the last few weeks, just looking at a bevy of spiritual gifts. And a few weeks ago, when we started looking at this, we just walked through all of the major passages uh, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, and we identified 26 specific gifts. 26. Are Are there more than that? Well, you could certainly make a case. Are there less than that? You could make that case as well. But we started to walk through them. We put them in different categories, and we identified their primary function. And we identified the uh, desires and abilities that one has when they uh, possess such gifts. And then, as a precaution, we also warned against misuses, because every gift has a misuse. That's just the way it goes. And so we looked at uh, two special gifts, and they're special in that they are offices that are limited to that first century church, and these offices don't exist anymore. They are the offices of apostle and the offices of prophet. There are no more apostles in the sense of the twelve and the apostles of that first church uh, who had authority to write scripture and such. Uh, And there are no uh, prophets today. They're hearing directly from God, fresh new revelation, as we describe. But we went on and we identified and talked about several speaking gifts, which which have to do with opening your mouth and letting God do things through you in use of your gift. And here are some that we have on the screen that we talked about. We talked about the gift of apostleship, which is different from the office of apostle, and that that pertains to those who have the gift of missions. They're like missionaries. They've got that gifting. We talked about evangelism, those who easily and effectively can share their faith, and I've known a lot of people that could do that. We talked about the gift of shepherding, a.k.a. the pastoral gift, which is not to say that you have to be a pastor to have that gift, but if you are a pastor, you should have that gift. It's the gift of shepherding. We talked about the gift of prophecy, which again is distinct from being a prophet uh, in the office sense, but to exercise the gift of prophecy is to boldly declare what Scripture says on a matter. And we talked about the gift of teaching, which ought to be self-explanatory. It's just the gift to instruct in the Word. And we talked about what we called the word of knowledge, which is perhaps more of an intermittent gift. It's that ability that God will bestow upon somebody at the right time to recall truth that comes from his word and to speak forth that truth. And this is just an incident whereby you are just in the right moment at the right time with the right people in the right circumstances and God enables you supernaturally to speak what you have read in Scripture At some point in the past, you recall it and you speak it at the right moment. Then there's the gift of uh, the word of wisdom, which is similar to the word of knowledge. It functions in the same way. It's probably more of an intermittent gift. But instead of simply speaking forth truth, it has to do with the application of that truth. And that is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is truth. Wisdom is the application of truth at the right time. And then we talked about, finally, the gift of exhortation, which is really the gift of counseling in the Word. Biblical encouragement, biblical counseling, and we closed by looking at four ways to counsel biblically. And so those are the speaking gifts. Now, how many of you, as we, if you were here, how many of you identified a gift that you think you've got? In what we've looked so far, you, you've, discovered, you've made that discovery. You think, I think that's me. All right, well, if, if you're not raising your hand, doesn't mean that one of those doesn't belong to you. It just means you haven't figured it out yet. And I just want to take this time to encourage you. We've got a program, a, pro, a process that we offer called Next Steps. And it is overseen by Pastor Mike Smith. And it, it happens on Sunday mornings. Uh, and we've got one coming up in the new year. And it's only three weeks. 
happens during one of our services. So you can come, you can attend Next Steps, and you can come back and, and be in one of our services on Sunday morning and not miss a beat. But part of Next Steps is a spiritual gifts inventory, whereby you can begin to study these gifts and take a little exam, little test, which is a good way to start thinking about it, get the juices flowing. And then from there, you can start to put it to use. You can try things out. You can serve in different capacities and see if this gift begins to click. And you can identify your gift in that way. But I really advocate next steps, whether you are a new Christian or you're an old Christian, all right? You've been a believer for many, many years or you're just starting out. Whether you've attended Lamb's Chapel for decades or you're just brand new around here, I really recommend next steps. I think it'd be a phenomenal thing for you to do. And uh, tonight we're going to continue to look at some of these gifts. And so we're going to look at what we call serving gifts. And here's how we describe these in your notes. The category of serving gifts includes those that involve ministering to, through, and with the body. They all pertain to the body. And it's all about ministry with each other and to each other and through one another. All right? Hey, let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll dive into this. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon our time and your word. Uh, I just am so grateful for this church community, God, people that are hungry for your word, and I pray your blessing upon them tonight as we look at these gifts that you've given us, God, and we're not born with them. They are presents from you via your spirit that indwells every believer, and you didn't just give them to us for our own enjoyment. You gave them to us to reflect glory upon you and to minister to and through one another, and we pray your blessing as we discover how you've gifted us and put it to use, and I pray that people would make that discovery starting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this category. We're going to start with a gift of leadership. Leadership. It used to be this was the most desired gift of all. Everybody wanted to be a leader. A lot of people still want to be a leader. I think this is less desired today on the whole compared to how it has been in the past. Uh, Do people want to be leaders today? Maybe not as much, and I think there might be a multitude of reasons for that. Some avoid leadership because a lot of leaders have failed them. Tragically, I believe that we have seen that a number of times, especially in the church. Have there been some leaders in ministry and a Christian life that have fallen, maybe morally, spiritually, practically, and in some cases there's now a credibility gap, and so I think that people have shied away from leadership. I think some people avoid leadership because of what they've seen done to leaders that they love, and they've seen them really put through the ringer, and they're like, enough of that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I mean, that's true of all kinds of leaders. Leaders have a tough road to hoe sometimes. Look at U.S. presidents. A lot of times the president will come into office, he'll have thick, dark hair when he starts, and then mere four years later, and it's thin and falling out, and it's gray, and... And, uh, you know, I I remember Obama came in there with dark hair, even after halfway through his tenure, man, it's just gray as can be. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, those in leadership are are big old visible targets. There's a price to leadership. I got to be honest with you. I ran from leadership for a long time. I didn't want to be a head pastor. My dad was a head pastor. Can I just speak honestly with you? Some of the meanest people I've ever met are church folks. It's true. Now, some of the sweetest people I've ever met are church folks, and that's how it ought to be. But there are some some wolverines out there. I'm not kidding. And they would chew you up and spit you out. And uh, so all of that can be true. But is the answer to avoid leadership altogether? Well, no, of course not. And certainly not if that's your gift. If that's your gift. So what we need is we need a biblical model for leadership. Romans 12 speaks of the gift in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then you drop down to verse 8, and it lists some we've talked about. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in its generosity, the one who leads with zeal. And so this is listed among the gifts. It's a leadership gift. Here's the function in your notes. It's spiritual guidance and management. There's a management component to this. Uh, The Greek word here. Is proistemi, proistemi, to preside over, to stand before. You see that term eight times in the New Testament. 
And here are some of the unique desires and abilities that somebody with the gift of leadership has. Uh, You will lead, assist, protect, and care for others. Okay, it's, it's not a task-oriented gift. It's a, it's a people-oriented gift. Uh, you are not obsessed with an objective. You're, you are leading people. There's no such thing as a leader that doesn't have people following them. If somebody says, I'm leading, you know, here's a, somebody told me one time, if you want to be a leader, just look back and see if anybody's following you. If you that'll tell you if you're actually leading somebody. Uh, another one is that you work well in groups of people. If you are a leader, if you have a leadership gift, odds are you're already exercising it or you're trying to. You're in a group and you're trying to. And as you do so, you are relating well to people. Leaders relate well to people because there's a necessary mobilization that must take place. You are leading people to do things, okay? Leadership is not just telling people to do it. Leadership is saying, follow me and we'll do it. Follow me. Let's do this together. They, they, drag, they drag people into things. There's zeal. Those who lead with zeal is what we read. There must be zeal. And so they, they, sometimes they drag people kicking and screaming, but they're zealous about it. They're like, come on. And they're just motivating people to go. If you've had ex- effective leaders in your life, you had a drug problem. You got drug into this and you got drug into that <laughs> by a zealous leader. And uh, you've been involved because of the leadership of other people. A leader will also show respect and love for others, even through admonishment. I want to show you 1 Thessalonians 5. In verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. What do you call someone who's over you? That's a leader. A leader. They're over you in the Lord and admonish you. Sometimes leaders have to admonish. Okay? And so that's part of leadership. To admonish with with the right spirit and with the right goal in mind. Uh, Another one that you might jot down is you base success on how people grow in their spiritual walk. That's what leadership's all about in the church, in ministry. Uh, You accomplish different tasks and objectives while staying relational. Relationship must not be separate from achieving the objective. Uh, You see invisible goals and you make them visible to other people. That's a big part of it. Uh, Somebody said vision is seeing the invisible and making it visible. That's a gift, very important component to leadership. You motivate the body to invest in eternal things. You're identifying here's the important thing and you're showing that to other people. You say this is the goal and it's not just a temporary goal. It's an eternal goal. This is something that's worth fighting for, worth pursuing. Leaders want to know that we're moving ahead and we're pursuing something that matters. A leader will go nuts in a stagnant church. They're just not going to be happy. If the church is is just content, treading water, resting on their laurels, they're not going to be content there. A leader just cannot abide in such a place. Uh, You will guard the body against spiritual harm. That's a good leader. I think of a shepherd. Think of David in the Old Testament. You know, he protected his sheep against a bear and a lion. And a good leader will do that. They have to fight off the wolves sometimes. A leader will lead through times of crisis. Often that's when the the ability and the the metal, if you will, of a leader is really tested, is in times of crisis. I think when people went through the pandemic, they were able to see what what their leaders were made of. You saw a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders retire during the pandemic. They got out of there. They're like, hey, I ain't doing this, you know. you respond quickly to needs that are real. A leader really needs to be be able to identify urgent needs. Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 3, in verse 14, he said, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Urgent need and not be unfruitful. A good leader can identify what is pressing, what is necessary, what is urgent, and maybe what's not so urgent. You've got to be able to do that. So you may be out there. You may have this gift. Now, that does not mean that you're going to be at the top of your particular organization, your particular sphere, but you can use your gift. Okay? Now, I want to show you, as with all of these gifts, there's, there's an accompanying fungus with a gift. Let me show you the fungus on you leaders out here. Okay? This is the stuff you got to watch out for. Caution! 
Leaders who are visionary are not typically well organized. They're just not. They're not details oriented. They can be, but not usually. If you're a visionary, we call that a visionary leader. A visionary leader is usually a big picture person. They're like, here's where we need to go. But they don't necessarily know how to get there. But they're zealous. Okay? Uh, I went to Liberty University. Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. founded that school. Man, we were full steam ahead all the time. Did he know how to do what we were going to do? No. But he, he's the one who drove that bus. And without him, it wouldn't have happened. That school would not stand today if it were not for his leadership. But he was not a details-oriented man. Okay? But he drove it. Okay, so what you do if you are a leader, especially visionary, is you surround yourself with people who are good in areas that you are not. And you are not intimidated by their gifts. They are there to complement you. And so you listen to others. Leaders that operate with a bunch of yes men operate in the flesh. You want people around you who can talk to you openly and honestly and ask you hard questions. So that's a caution. Popular leaders with big personalities can often become the center of attention. So you got to watch out for that. Ego is the enemy of every leader, all right? So you don't if you're a leader, you don't want this to go to your head. You don't want it to go to your head. And on a bad day, you will abuse your gift of leadership because if you're a leader that's not actually in authority, but you've got the gift of leadership, and you're in the same space as another leader who does have authority, on a bad day, if you let the flesh take over, you can split the church. You can split the organization. You can split the fellowship because leaders compete. This is why a lot of churches don't have co-pastors. That's, that's just reality. Very seldom. Now, it can work, but it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of holiness. Uh, I recall a church in, I think it was in Jacksonville, Florida, perhaps, Big Baptist church down there years ago, Dr. Jerry Vines and Dr. Homer Lindsay. They were co-pastors, and it worked. But that's the only, literally the only case I can think of. The only case. Uh, leading takes a lot of time. <clears throat> Sometimes your family suffers as a result. So you got to watch out for that, for that. If you can't manage your family, can you manage God's people? You cannot. You cannot. And you got to watch out for the snares of the enemy because when you are in leadership, and a lot of times you see this when it's a pastoral role, the enemy will set his sights on you. And how is he going to take you down? What's Satan's favorite way to take down leaders in ministry? Morally. Morally, all right? They will target the character of the leader because if they could do that, if he could take you down, he will destroy your testimony. He will destroy the testimony of the church. People will get turned off to not just the pastor, but the church. They'll get turned off to Jesus. They'll get turned off to God's people. So you got to watch out for those things. That is leadership. And a gift that is often connected to leadership is the next one. It's called administration. Administration. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is appointed in the church first. Apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrating, administrating, all right? Uh, here's the function of administration as a gift in your notes. It's organizational direction. Organizational direction. The, the Greek word here is kubernesis, and it means to steer the ship, to steer the ship. This is an even more managerial gift than leadership, all right? Leadership, now I'm going to tell you the difference. The difference between an administrator and a leader uh, administrators are more objective-driven. They're more task-oriented. Leaders are more people-oriented. You are leading people. Administrators are focused on details and objectives. People are involved, but they keep their eye on the details. That's why a good leader has a good administrator. Some of these desires and abilities that accompany this gift that you might want to jot down if you can, or that you give direction and you make decisions on behalf of other people. You're the one who's setting rules. You are setting standards. You are holding people accountable. You are keeping them informed on what to do, where to be, how to do it. You recognize what will be the most efficient method of accomplishing goals. Efficiency is the key word with this gift. Uh, you organize people, things, finances, 
etc. You see tasks through in an orderly way, an efficient way. Administrators know that God is not a God of chaos or of confusion. God is a God of order. Order matters. What are we? We're the body. Bodies have multiple parts, but these parts don't just do what they want. They got to work in conjunction with one another in order to be a functional, healthy body. And any ministry, any organization's got to do that. And so, you know, I talked about leaders surrounding themselves with people who are gifted where they are not. Uh, my administrative gifts are not as high as some of my other gifts. When I got here, I saw that we had some administrative needs. There were some holes. There were some gaps. And so I implemented, uh, to the best of my ability, what I believe that we needed, staff-wise, organizationally. And I quickly got to my ceiling. I hit my max. I'm like, okay, I can't do any more than that. I need an administrator. And so God brought Pastor Bobby to us and us to him. And he is gifted in this way. He is an administrator. God's shaped him very uniquely in that regard. And he brings a benefit to us. And I appreciate him. He's very, very good at this. Uh, you, if you are uh, an administrator, you have a keen eye for detail and the ability to put it to use. Pastor Bobby will stand back there on Sundays and he will just... He'll just observe. He'll watch. What's he watching for? Is he standing back there to crack the whip and yell at people? No. He's just looking for ways that we can be better. He's, he's seeing things that the rest of us may not be seeing. Uh, you will solve problems using reason and facts. Okay? Feelings don't get in the way if you are an administrator. You don't make decisions based on feelings. You don't make decisions based on present tense uh, circumstantial things. You're thinking long range. You're looking at the big picture. You're looking at decisions that need to be made now in order to achieve an objective down the road. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that might hurt some feelings, but they're necessary because you do what you do because it's right. You make the right decision because it's the right decision and for no other reason. And so that's part and parcel to that. Uh, you find energy working on tax, tasks and projects. Le administrators are, they are uh, uh, refreshed by doing this. Doesn't mean they don't get tired, doesn't mean they don't get worn out, but they are rejuvenated. This is, this is something that, that brings them life. They come to life. Uh, you see through chaos to make sense of things and bring cohesiveness, you see. Uh, it doesn't mean that you... Uh, like the chaos for that reason. It's just that you see a way through it. Often administrators, they, they, chaos drives them nuts because they need order. But they will look at chaos and they will find the order and they'll figure out how to achieve it. Uh, you will take charge when there's nobody else. If you have this gift, you might have found yourself in a room where there's a project going on and there's too many cooks and, and everything's working against itself and it's chaos, and you will jump in, and you will know what to do and who needs to do what, and you'll just kind of take charge. That's an administrative gift. You will delegate well. You're not the one who's going to do everything, okay? You're, you're going to find joy in seeing other people use their gifts to jump in and collectively, as a whole, make everything work together. That's, that's a beautiful gift right there. Jesus often demonstrated this. You say, did Jesus have this gift? Uh, Jesus had all these gifts. He had every gift, all right? You don't. I don't. No, nobody has every gift but Christ. And that's because he's God. He's divine. He's got them all. They're not really gifts. They're just part of his being, okay? Uh, but we see him exercise administrative uh, uh, perfection in Mark 9. He chooses an inner circle of three disciples. He's appointed the 12, Mark 3, he sends out the 72 of his greater master followers in Luke 10. You see Old Testament guys with this gift. Can you think of some in the Old Testament that were great administrators? I'm thinking of Joseph in, in uh, Ju Judas. Did you say Judas? Eh, it wasn't a spiritual gift. He didn't have a spirit. But Joseph, uh, great administrator in Genesis. Jethro, great administrator in the New Testament. Paul writes to Titus. We, see, we pick up on language that indicates Titus is a good administrator. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, but all things should be done decently and in order. He's speaking to, uh, in a pastoral context in 1 Timothy 3, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's, that's an important thing to note, which leads us to some cautions here. You've got to be willing, if you're an administrator, to, to, that you make mistakes. You've got to admit that. 
How many of you make mistakes? Anybody? Yeah. So administrators too, right? And they've got to be willing to admit them. A good administrator will admit that. You're going to be able to take time to explain why you're doing things a certain way. You can articulate that. You should not be simply bottom line. Um, you know, you shouldn't be somebody who just expects people to get the job done. You got to be sensitive to people. Okay, don't make everything a numbers game. Because you're task oriented, you need to try to consider people as much as possible. That's a consideration you need to make. I like executive pastors to be just a tad Pentecostal. You know, just to ha- work some emotion in there, buddy. You, you can't be a robot. You gotta, you gotta take joy and have some energy in this job. You gotta come alongside people uh, and see the best way to perform. You gotta be patient and listen to those who disagree with you, with your ideas, with your plans. Listen to what they say. They may not be correct. That's okay. You still need to listen. All right? So that's administration. So those are the two gifts that carry some weight, I would say, in this category. The third gift is service. Service. Now, this is a very, very important gift and is absolutely necessary in the body of Christ. Here's what Romans 12 says in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. So it's listed right there. This is called the gift of service. It's also called the gift of helps. It's also called the gift of ministry. You say, well, this is a gift. Of, aren't these all serving gifts? Yes, they're all, that's the general category. And they are all based on serving the body. Uh, but this one is, is different when it comes to service. This is service through and through. To lead is to serve people through leadership. Administrators are performing a service of orderliness. Those with the servant gift, they demonstrate the base posture of service. And they've got a function. Here's the function in your notes. It's it's assistance to meet needs. Assistance to meet needs. Uh, Greek word here is diakonia. Diakonia means service, means ministry. We get the word diakonos from that. Deacon. A deacon is a servant. In some churches, a deacon thinks they're the boss. But biblically, a deacon is a servant. It's a helper. We have deacons at this church because it's a biblical office. And you know what the main quality we're looking for when somebody is asked to be a deacon? They've got to be a servant because that's biblically what they ought to be. Uh, another word is antelempsis. See that in 1 Corinthians 12. It's to aid, to help. All right? We are all to be servants. If this is not your primary gift, it doesn't get you off the hook. You're like, well, I don't need to serve. It's not really my gift. You know? No, no, you need to serve. But there are some people for whom this comes very natural, very easy to them. And it, it, it fills them with, with joy to be able to do this. Here are the unique desires and abilities. You take on tasks and accomplish them in a thorough and swift manner. That's what a servant does. You jump right in there. You know how to get it done, and you get it done. And if you're out there, you know who you are. We got a ton of servants in this church. Indispensable. You meet people's physical needs is another uh, component of this. If you've got this gift, you are task-oriented. You're not emotion-oriented. You're just a servant. There's another gift that is like this that is emotion-driven. It's called mercy. Mercy givers and servants look a lot alike, but their motivation is different, okay? Uh, if you've got a mercy giver, we're going to talk about mercy more in detail in a bit. If you've got a mercy giver and you've got a servant and they both meet someone who is newly widowed, the servant might say to the newly widowed person who is still mourning, they might say, tell me, who, who mows your lawn? you got somebody to take care of your lawn? Can I come over and do that for you? Can I help around the house? Can I clean your house for you? Can I bring you a meal or something like that? The mercy giver says, I want to come over and bring coffee and we will sit and we will have coffee and we will talk. And I'm going to come over every week and and spend an hour with you. See the difference? One is task-oriented, one is emotional, and there's empathy there. But they both are approaching the same type of scenario, you see. If you are a servant, you work behind the scenes. 
We got a lot of people like that. So many around here. I couldn't possibly name them all, but there is one that pops into my brain. If you know Tommy Bradshaw, that's a servant. Tommy Bradshaw works here. He works selflessly. His wife, Cheryl, also a great servant. But Tommy, every Sunday in between the services, I'll be down here, be talking to somebody. Tommy will appear at my, at my arm here with a cup of coffee. And he, ever, I've never asked him to do that. He will bring me a cup of coffee every Sunday. And by the way, that's my love language, by the way. And so I just appreciate Now you're like, now Pastor Scott, you're not supposed to have coffee in the worship center. You're getting distracted. Don't miss the point here. <laughs> People are dying and going to hell. Don't you be focused on my coffee now. Uh, but Tommy's a servant, you know. Uh, if you're a servant, you perform tasks that others don't see as valuable or desirable. They might be a little menial. Cleaning a bathroom. Washing dishes. Changing dirty diapers. In the nursery. In the nursery, not anywhere else. In the nursery. Uh, if you're a servant, you see needs that others do not, and you fill them. You don't, you, so you don't even wait to be asked. There's initiative. You enthusiastically respond when asked or encouraged to serve. You, you, you are joyful to do it. You're happy to do it. You demonstrate the love of the Lord. You see this as an act of your love for God. It's your ministry to the Lord. You multitask, and you stay active in a variety of ministry areas. That's true in a lot of churches. You'll have people, they'll serve in different capacities. They'll do it here, and you know sometimes they only let you do it so many times in this one area, so they'll go find somewhere else to serve. Because that's, that's what they thrive on. It feeds, feeds their uh, craving for joy. You support the leader, and the leader's vision is another thing that you do. Acts 6, 1 through 3. It says, now in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the gist is this. In the early church, it was growing. You, were, you recall Peter preached and 3,000 came to faith. So you had like this pop-up mega church on the day of Pentecost. And so the, the church is exploding. Who are the leaders? The apostles. You know, these, these guys, these 12 guys with authority. Well, are there needs in a church that's growing fast? Absolutely. Are there needs in this church? Yes. Can 12 guys in a church of 3,000 cover all that and it's rapidly expanding every single day? No, they can't do it. And so what happened in this verse is they go to the disciples and they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And here you've got your first deacon board right here in Acts. And so you see this precedent set. And so serving is vital. No church can survive without servanthood. And so if you've got this gift, you need to unleash this gift. If you don't have this gift, you still need to serve because it's a command. Here's some caution. Servants find it difficult to say no. Occasionally they will neglect their family's needs because they're called upon to serve. Sometimes if you're a servant, you'll emphasize practical needs over spiritual needs. That's not good. Servants need to be careful not to take too much pride in their own work. Often, servants won't delegate. They'll do it themselves. If you want something done right, you do it yourself, is our thinking. And so they will do that. Uh, sometimes, uh, if this is how you're wired, you just want to jump in there and get something done. You just want to get, get serving, get cracking. You don't like planning. You don't like meeting. You don't like organization. Because of pride, sometimes servants will look down on those who don't sweat. And somebody else may be using a different gift. If there's a teacher and they're spending time in prep for teaching, instructing, a servant might look at that and go, what are you doing locked up in your study? Man, there's work to be done. we got to get on it. You know, get out of your Logos Bible software and your commentaries and get out here and get to work for the Lord. You know, let's go. So you gotta, you got to watch all that. But that's servanthood. That's servanthood. Mercy is the next gift. Romans 12, 8 says, The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, mercy, very important. Here's your function. Identifying with and comforting people. Identifying with and comforting people. Eleos in Greek is the word. Sympathy with or for others. Many verses that speak to the importance of mercy. I'm not going to read them all for you. But the unique desire... Or ability associated with this gift is that you show compassion by identifying with those in distress. You immediately uh, want to show compassion. Just like we talked about servants are task-oriented, 
Mercy givers are emotional. They're invested. They're the ones with the overactive tear ducts. It touches them deeply. They don't just pity people. They don't just have compassion on people. They hurt for people. They are empathetic to people. Ministries that appeal to them are prison ministry, recovery ministry, uh, counseling, ministries to the poor, to the hungry, uh, pro-life ministries, uh, ministries to unwed mothers, uh, to orphans, to widows. Those types of works are just loaded with people with this gifting right here. If you have this gift, you say the right words at the right time. You say what people need to hear that are hurting. You show comfort and love in a soft-spoken manner, okay, as opposed to somebody who's like a prophet. Prophets coming in, they're like, here's what you need to do, and they want to fix you. Mercy givers are not about fixing anything. Mercy givers are about soothing and, and comforting, okay? Uh, they attract people who are hurting, like a moth to the flame. They will find you. Uh, you listen well. You love at all times, will a mercy giver. You display a very non-judgmental attitude, okay? You counsel with no preconceived agenda. You're just there to heal. Now, here are your cautions. You probably could think of some cautions on your own. You don't want to take people's problems home with you if you're a mercy giver. It will destroy you. So don't do it. Don't bear everybody's, you cannot bear all the burdens of the world. Your empathy can become detrimental if you are not properly trained in certain areas. There are some aspects of people's issues that require some, some proper training and equipping. And your, the very fact of your mercy gift is not going to prepare you to go in there. And so you may facilitate, you may you know, uh, uh, implement some other things in, a, in accordance with your gifting. Satan will attack your gift. He can cause pride because of your mercy, your ability to relate to others. Uh, he may influence you to disregard rules or disrespect authority. You might experience a lack of discipline because you've got feelings, strong feelings for those who are hurting as a result of their own disobedience their own sin, you might make excuses for them out of your compassion, your love for them, your mercy. Uh, you don't want to fall into Satan's trap of complaining or griping, taking up an offense for some people who are maybe being disciplined by the church. And you don't want to let people use you. Sometimes you can enable people and they'll end up using you because of your bent in that way. Uh, you can resent other people who are not as understanding as you. Prophets tend to be very black and white. Mercy givers, very gray. And so they see things very, very differently. Mercy giver will, will be like, oh, well, bless your heart. I understand what you're saying. I can totally see it your way. Prophet, well, this is what the word of God says, you know. And they'll just hit him over the head with the Bible. And those two mindsets can be at odds. Now, ironically, prophets and mercy givers often get along really well. They often get married. It's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, you want to refrain from being a, gossip, a gossiper when you're around other mercy showers. you got to be careful. You don't want to let your circumstances control you. Um, others may accuse you of taking, uh, taking up for people, uh, of compromising, of being an old softy, you know. Um, and so we just got to guard against some of this stuff, all right? The gift of faith is the next one I want to look at. And this is listed in 1 Corinthians among nine other gifts or eight other gifts. It's found amidst the gifts of healing and of miracles. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith. Faith. So this is listed as a gift. Now I want to tell you it's, it's important to distinguish between the gift of faith and saving faith. If you're a believer, as I presume many in this room to be, if not all, you have faith or you would not be here. You would not be born again. You must have faith in order to be born again. This is beyond saving faith. This is the gift of faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, I just listed gifts, and then it says faith. All faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
Now, the point of that verse is that love is greater than all spiritual gifts. But to make that point, it includes gifts, and listed among those gifts is the gift of faith. So faith is indeed a spiritual gift, and it's a gift often that leaders have. In fact, great leaders have great faith because you got to step out, you got to lead people where they're not naturally going to go on their own. And sometimes you don't know how to get there, so if you don't know how to get there, but you are saying, let's go, you got to have faith. And so faith is absolutely a gift. How important is it? you got a story in Matthew 17. The disciples are commanded to go out and to cast demons out of people. They're having a tough time with this particular kid. Demon's not coming out. Jesus comes along. He sees the issue. Casts the demon out. Disciples are like, what gives? We've been at this for hours. What's going on? And what does Jesus say is the answer. He says, it's your lack of faith. It's your little faith. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so the gift of faith often is associated with supernatural things in the New Testament, but that's not all it's associated with. Because it says you will have faith in all things. And I think sometimes... In our world of being enamored with the supernatural and the flashy, sometimes we we think of of the gift of faith as being a purely miraculous type of gift when it really has application for a whole bevy of areas in the Christian life. And we always, always need more faith. But some of us have it in spades because it's gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. Here's the function. Unwavering trust and belief in God. You say, well, I got that. Okay. Okay. But this is more than just saving faith. This is more than you acknowledging that God exists. This is more than you just saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have faith in Jesus Christ. This is big time faith. Pistis is the Greek word. Conviction of the truth. Belief. Unique desire and ability that you want to jot down here is that you trust God to work beyond the capabilities of people. You got this gift. You don't see problems. You see possibilities. You see potential. How many of us say that at all times? No. We, we don't, we, we, that's not our bent. That's not our gut reaction. Our gut reaction is, I got to call Pastor so-and-so. I got to call my best friend. I got to get online. You know, I got I to gotta pull that book off the shelf and see what it says about this. No. Someone with this gift is trusting God. You got great vision and you cast it in motivational ways. Somebody with the gift of faith can encourage faith in other people. They motivate it. They pray. They fast fervently. The gift of faith is vitally connected to prayer. Uh, They face difficult circumstances, even death, without fear. No fear. They draw attention and glory back to God through steadfast faith. They believe God will do great things, even seemingly impossible things. And they ask for things that are so big, they may seem laughable. I worked for a missions organization called World Help. Our leader, the founder of that organization, was a guy named Vernon Brewer. Uh, When I got there in the late 90s, they had a project called Vision 1000. It was a three-year program to plant a thousand churches in three years' time in the 1040 window, which included the darkest regions of India. We're going to plant 1,000 churches in three years. It took money to do that. And so I was part of a group that traveled and raised money to do it. And we had to cast vision. We got our vision from our boss. He got it from God. We tried to cast it to the other people so that they would catch it and want to get involved and be part of this this vision, this project to plant 1,000 churches in three years' time. And I remember Vernon talking about this vision. And he said when he would tell people, I want to plant 1,000 churches in three years, they would laugh at him. And then somebody told him, you know, Vernon, if you share your vision with somebody and they don't laugh, it's not big enough. And Vernon said, it's too big. God, I can't do it. And God said, good, I can. And so from then on, God gave him this gift of faith. And we would try to cast that vision. And the money would come in. And that number of churches would go up. But we'd look at that number. And it was, we were getting closer to the end of that three years. And we were not there, you know. But let me tell you something. Huh. New Year's Day, 2000, the year 2000, we got word the money for the 1,000th church had come in, and the vision was achieved. 
goal achieved? Would it have happened had God not granted the gift of faith to this leader? It's a powerful thing. George Mueller was a uh, pastor in England, Bristol, England. Started an orphanage. There were hundreds of orphans in the streets of Bristol because of, uh, because of uh, uh, was it smallpox or something like that. Uh, oh, it was cholera. Cholera left a lot of kids orphaned, scrounging through the trash for, for food. And he, he just had a big heart and a gift of faith, and he said, bring them to me. I said, where are you going to put them? He goes, God will work it out. And he acquired a house, and all these kids came to the house. They said, how are you going to feed them? He said, God will work it out. And some days, and there are, there are many, many stories about George Mueller's orphanage that he ran until he was 92. And one of the stories goes, he would get the kids around the dinner table, and there was no food. No food. And he'd say, children, bow your heads, and let's thank God for the food that he's about to provide. And he's praying, Lord, thank you for this food that you are about to provide. Can you imagine the kids going, you know? And then there was a, there was a knock at the door. And the story goes that they open the door, and there's a guy standing there. And he says, I'm driving a meat wagon out here, and the whole thing's broken down. The meat's going to spoil. Do you want it? And Mueller said, yes, bring it in. It's already been blessed. Just set it on the table. And so they bring the meat in. And there are many stories about George Mueller's orphanage, milk trucks or milk wagons breaking down. And here's milk. And I mean, God just supernaturally, gift of faith, powerful gift. Cautions. Don't get caught up in yourselves. Don't get caught up in your ability to bring about change through mystic means. A lot of people think they have the gift of faith and they just they, they descend in this name it and claim it business. And they just say, whatever I, whatever I want to toss out there, God's going to grant like he's some kind of a genie. Resist the urge to look down on people that you perceive to have less faith than you. That's not of God. Don't assume that because someone hasn't received what they're asking God for, that it's because they have weak faith. Don't you do that. That's wrong. Then there's a the gift of spiritual discernment. 1 Corinthians 12 says, To another the working of miracles, another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To distinguish between spirits. 1 Corinthians 14.29 says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is a means by which we determine what is and is not actually of God. Uh, some reference Christ when he's in Mark and he perceives what the Pharisees are saying in their hearts. You know, uh, again, Jesus had all these gifts because they weren't, they weren't gifts. They were just part of who he was divinely. Here's the function. It's making the right spiritual decision. Making the right spiritual decision. Greek words are diakrisis pneuma, to divide the spirits, to make distinctions about things. Now, gift or not, we all need to be discerning. We all need to be discerning. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Test everything, but hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. A lot of the verses that deal with this gift pertain to false teachers, identifying false teachers. In 1 John 4 it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Are there, are there false teachers flying around today? I am stunned sometimes when I talk to Christians, well-meaning, dear, you know, Jesus-loving people, and they'll come to me and they'll say, I'm reading this book, and I'll look at the book, and it'll burn my fingers. I mean, I'm speaking figuratively, but dang, folks, really? Sometimes I'm going, are you kidding me? You're reading that? What? You're listening to that podcast? Who, how did they dupe you? You know, and I'm just going, man, and I really believe a lot of it is because of a lack of, of Strong prophetic teaching from the pulpit to identify what is and is not biblical. And so people kind of lose their way. If you've got this gift, you, you just, God has granted you the ability to discern. You are testing the spirits. You've got the unique desire and ability in your notes to judge character and motives accurately. I, I think my wife has this gift. She'll talk to people and she'll come to me and she'll be like, I don't have a good sense about this situation. And I said, really, why? And she goes, I don't know. I don't know. And it's, it's connected to this gift. And then we'll learn more and she'll be found right, you know. And you understand different personality types. 
uh, you perceive situations and issues that are below the surface. Sometimes prophets are like this, if you have the gift of prophecy. You, you see clearly that which others don't see immediately. <clears throat> you recognize both authenticity and falsehood. Okay, So you don't, you don't just spot the fraud, you also identify the genuine article. You know the good thing when you see it. You understand the spiritual positives and negatives of a particular activity. Uh, so there are, there are things that are, maybe seem a little gray. You know, that a lot of Christians would be like, well, what's wrong with it? And, and a discerner will be like, it's not a moral issue, it's a wisdom issue. You know, you look at the fruit. What is it producing? I mean, they just have this innate sense to identify that. You sense spiritual forces of good and evil at work. Some people have this uncanny ability. They just know. You know, there's something hanky going on here. I mean, there's something really messed up with this situation. You never ever see those with this gift immediately embrace something just because it has a Christian label. You got to be careful about that stuff. These are Bereans. They their instinct is to search the scriptures, but even before they do, they'll have a check in their spirit about this person, activity, turn of events that gives them pause and they will stop and they will examine and they will watch carefully. You want people like this in your church. You absolutely do. Cautions, openly questioning people's salvation is very dicey. You don't want to do that. That's not your job to question somebody's salvation. Now, you, you, might, you might innately have this sense that maybe this person is not born again. It's not your job to broadcast who is and is not saved because God looks on the inside, man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. Uh, but we definitely can evaluate behavior as unbiblical, and you can identify that, but just keep in mind, you're not God, and you're not the Holy Spirit, okay? Two more here, and we'll wrap this up. Giving is a very, very important and special gift. Romans 12 says, the one who contributes in generosity. Now, I'm not crazy about the word generosity as a translation. I think generosity sounds like a charity, like, oh, I'm being benevolent to God. Uh, you know, no, give, when you give, you're giving back to God what's already His. You're not being generous with what's yours. Uh, function is sharing of your material possessions in strategic ways. All of us are to give, but there are people who have a gift of giving. It is very instinctive for them. Methodidomy is the Greek word to impart. You like to use your money, your material possessions, strategically. This is more than just dropping money in the bucket on the way out of church. This is you, and by the way, that's easy for someone who has this gift. They don't mind doing that, and they always do. But if you have this gift, you might, for example, see a missions organization, a missions initiative, and you might be compelled to write a check for some amount for that specific ministry. You may see a family that's hurting that is down on their fortunes and they need help, assistance, what have you, and you go and you bless them. Maybe it's anonymous because it doesn't matter if they know who it came from. Um, you might want to uh, support a specific thing like a school in Africa or a pastoral training event that you want to underwrite or an evangelistic event or a concert or something that's going to bring glory to God and souls to Christ. Unique desires and abilities you hold loosely to your possessions. You don't hoard it. You're not Scrooge McDuck with your belongings, you know. You see your material blessings as things that God can use at any time. You easily catch vision and you immediately become personally invested. You're always asking the right question. You're asking, how can I be involved? How can I support this? And I would say people with this gift are often drawn to very missions-minded churches. They want to know, what are you doing beyond your four walls? What are you doing to promote the gospel? What are you doing to help people? Here's some cautions. You don't want to let your giving turn into buying. Because sometimes a giver can get so caught up in the act of giving and it becomes their identity more so than their gift. And they start to see everything as being because of them. And there are some old-fashioned churches that I've been to that have names of families on the pews because they gave a certain amount of money, and now that's their pew, and that's where they sit, you know. 
Uh, you don't want to give with an agenda. Sometimes you want to give, and you, you might give for a specific thing, but once you give, it's not yours anymore. You've given it, and you're trusting God to use it. All right? That's the gift of giving. Now we close out with this final gift. It's the gift of hospitality. Some of you are like, ah, the gift of the South. <laughs> hospitality. Some don't see hospitality as a gift. Listen, I think Scripture is clear. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10, it says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You say, well, is that a command or is that a gift? Well, in the next verse it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so I equate hospitality in the context there with gifts of the Spirit. It's very natural that those are connected. How do we show hospitality? Peter says do it without grumbling. Do it without grumbling. Uh, clearly some people do that better than others. And those that do are gifted in this way. Some people that you point to in Scripture, some people like to point to Martha in the New Testament. Oh, Martha. Martha was the, she was the homemaker, right? She was the cook. She had the guests in her house and stuff like that. I don't know that you want to point to Martha because Martha grumbled. You remember the story where Mary's, you know, she's at the feet of Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, will you tell Mary to help me in the kitchen? You know, that's grumbling. Furthermore, had the Spirit come yet? No. And so whatever Martha had, it wasn't a gift of the Spirit, because the Spirit was not indwelling her at that time. Here's the function. Loving and welcoming guests and strangers. Loving and welcoming guests and strangers. Philohenos is the word in Greek. Loving strangers is literally what it means. And here are the unique desires and abilities. You meet strangers easily. You, you, it's not a problem. You just do this. You make them feel comfortable. In fact, you actively look for them. You go and you find them. This is not just, you don't have the gift of hospitality just because you make a mean shepherd's pie. All right? Or uh, Sandy in our office made sausage balls today. Wow. Coffee and sausage balls. That's my love language. That's it, you know. And, but that's not the gift of hospitality in and of itself. That could certainly accompany it, and often does. But this is more than that. You are good with people. You go and you find strangers that you don't even know. And your hospitality serves a purpose. You get acquainted with them. You learn about them. You open your home to them. They're welcome. You incorporate natural abilities of cooking, decorating, and planning, but it's for the purpose of loving and welcoming strangers to the glory of God and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. It's a great rule of thumb for all believers, but there are some that are gifted in this way. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, and thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Let me read that again. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares did you know that you may come across an angel and and have no idea maybe you already have and you were a total jerk face to them <laughs> it could happen i've got a story i don't have time to tell it tonight but we'll bust it out sometime about an angelic encounter but it happens. Here's a caution. Do not welcome dangerous people such as false teachers into your home. The spiritually destructive. Some people get so caught up in showing hospitality that they have no discernment. And there are certain people that we are told, do not, do not welcome them into your home. Second John 1, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. All right? And so we want to be wise with all of this. But those are the serving gifts, guys. We've got one more category that we're going to get into. And I'm not going to force it before the end of this year. So we're going to come back. We're going to finish up uh, a couple of weeks into January. It won't be next week. There is no service next week. So uh, we're, we're going to be closed down next week for Christmas. But... Uh, you will join us this Sunday, okay, for Christmas Eve. Going to be a very special family service. Bring your kids. We're all going to be in here together. We'll have a special story for them on the stage for your kids. And, uh, 
And it's going to be a blessing to you. I just know it. God bless you all. Don't forget to check out Next Steps. I promise you will not regret it. It would be an encouragement to your soul if you'll do that. I appreciate your attendance and your attentiveness tonight. Heavenly Father, bless this group of people. And I just pray that they'll have a wonderful Christmas and time with their family. Use them and reveal to them at the appropriate time what their gifting is, that they may use it and bring you glory in Jesus' name.